and in the character creation forge. It's straight Xanathar's baby. Yeah, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but the week after that, we're totally doing a bunch of Xanathar stuff. Right. Live from the Mundangerous Good Ending in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 121 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about the sessions that happen after the campaign officially ends. But first, the rogue traders, in an attempt to end their own campaign early, charge a demon in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the last man standing refuses to go down even with a fight. In the character creation forge. So, just a reminder: uh, we are looking for your happy RPG stories in contrast to your horror stories. So, if you've had a triumph or an exciting moment or a favorite session, uh, please send us a note and describe it for us so that we can read it on the air. Yeah, dig deep for those because they're few and far between, I guess. Right. Yeah. Also, head on over to our Patreon page to take a look at the newly unveiled Character Creation Forge Codex. It exists. It's a real thing. You're welcome, I guess. I mean, thank you. Thank you, actually, is what we mean. Yeah, actually, thank you to our <laughs> Patreon backers who uh, made this possible. Without the patrons, there this would not have been done. Uh, we took their monthly... Uh, contributions and we paid somebody to do it <laughs> yeah this isn't one of those like you know it just really made us feel good that you support no it was you gave us money and we gave that money away and now this exists right yeah <laughs> it is a google doc uh google sheets i guess spreadsheet that kind of has a line item for every single character creation forge build we've ever made uh, with a description as well as what classes were involved in it you can search it you can filter it you can do all sorts of things to to cut up and carve the data found out we're only missing one class oh right which one death cleric which is oh but that's dmg not, yeah not adventures league legal so right we're good. so we've always always ignored it yeah so xanathar's guide is coming at the perfect time we have a bunch of builds that we've been wanting to put together but we've been holding back for xanathar's to see if there's a better fit right uh shane who put it together for us that would be Jeff from the System Mastery Podcast. He had some time on his hands and was willing to help us out. Um, you know, I I think anyone who listens to both podcasts uh, will understand what I mean when I say, I think you're the Jeff of this show. Oh, thanks. And I'm happily the John of this show. <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't know who we are, but it's fine. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Uh, so Jeff suffered through, like, I think 90-ish character creation forges that he listened to over the course of compiling. That's more than most of our listeners. Yeah, yeah. So he, he said some of them were doable from the notes, but some of them he just had to listen to. And I was like, I am so sorry. Yeah, he was kind and didn't say, yeah, and a lot of them didn't have notes. Right. So I had to listen. <laughs> Uh, so that is available. Uh, the link is on Patreon. So uh, check that out. We've gone through, we've tried to put in leveling guides for um, all of the builds, even ones that we didn't have leveling guides for in the actual show. Uh, but if you happen to notice like any errors or something that just doesn't seem clear, just let us know and we'll tweak it on our end. Speaking of tweaking things that really should be left alone, mm -hmm. Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? 
So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game, played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And the crew of the His Enduring Light have rescued the Chartist vessel Ambition from a warp reef, towed it into real space, and are in the process of boarding it while dealing with the psychic phenomena from the afterwash of the warp. Well, you say rescued. Really, we have pulled them out of the warp, and it totally remains to be seen whether any of the crew is going to make it out alive, or really whether any of our crew is going to make it out alive. correct. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps that is a bit premature. (laughs) Because the only way to get to the bridge is to land several hundred of our own armsmen in the hangar bay, which is, what, a solid kilometer away from the bridge? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then make our way through warp-infested hallways and stairwells. Yes. To get to the bridge, and the armsmen do not like this. No, there are lots of sort of psychic phenomenon that are playing on their nerves, and it all comes to a head in the central corridor stairwell, which will lead you to the bridge, but first you must traverse about 30 decks, and while you're going up, sort of the column is stretched out, uh, a fight breaks out amongst the men, and people are on edge and and discipline is waning and your character trank really dealt with it in a great way he shot one of them yeah obviously it's discipline <laughs> right <laughs> i'm learning from our dark eldar boson right which you know <laughs> in the imperial guard sure uh in a group of armsmen under a lot of psychic stress not so good all hell breaks loose well i got a lot of bullets <laughs> <laughs> So so the rest of the party is trying to calm you down, and then Draco's trying to reform the men and restore order. The sergeants are barking at everybody. It is total chaos in here, and it's it's kind of an embarrassment. It's a low point for your crew. Yeah, oh, I remember um, Doc was like, all right, I'm going to give Trank a sedative. And I was like, no, I'm a drug addict. Yeah. I refuse. <laughs> and I think I was about to shoot Doc. <laughs> So I think that turned your attention away from shooting the men, though, which is probably good overall. Yeah, we have a limited supply of those. So you do eventually reform them and continue up the stairwell. And the top of the column uh, finally reaches the deck with a bridge and breaches the door. Um, So the the ship was on lockdown uh, before you towed it. So you're mostly having to, like, just blow doors open and see what's on the other side and they're greeted by this very stiff cold wind that just seems to be flowing into the stairwell but not going anywhere and it's never ending makes perfect sense in a climate controlled spaceship yeah exactly okay um not only is there an icy cold wind there's also Laz fire. Uh, yeah. And auto guns. <laughs> and auto guns. Uh, they meet somewhat determined resistance. Uh, and as that sound kind of echoes down the stairwell, word is passed down the line. Um, everyone meets a slightly less organized resistance as various uh, doors are breached from the outside in. And cultists that have been tainted by the warp begin attacking your troops. And they're mostly using, like, improvised weapons. They're not exactly trained 
and, and they're not like a Duggan force, but they're maddened by chaos. So. Yeah, they're essentially rage zombies. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, some of these are obviously they used to just be like workers or like the cleaning crew. Right, exactly. And they're they're attacking with like a spanner or, you know, a sharpened broom handle, that kind of thing. Which kind of leads Trix into a situation, would you say? Trix has a habit of leading himself into a situation, but he basically realizes that their crappy weapons can't make it through his heavy armor. He basically shouts, I'm invincible! Uh-huh. And then charges. Yep. As he is wont to do. And and after clearing, you know, uh, several decks of, of these cultists, right? Saving the men, looking like a big hero... Mm-hmm. Uh, he turns a corner into a a blood curdling roar and charges directly into a corn blood letter. And how would you describe a blood letter, Ishin? All right, think of like a D and D goristro, like it's a uh, an eleven foot tall red uh, demon with sharp pointy teeth, big horns, and and its hands are just like scythe blades. Yeah, yeah. I guess they move on all fours, probably. <laughs> but I, I think they, they also have like some immunity to like psyker bullshit. Well, they're corn. They're uh, yeah, they're corn, so they don't like psychers. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry, Trix is not a psyker. However, he is meat, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, and and he's like, I charge it. So he did, uh, and actually, Trix sort of impressed in his waning moments there he he did actually strike a pretty good blow against them almost severed one of their legs yeah it was a solid it was a solid multiple hits right uh unfortunately for him he charged a melee demon and the melee demon fought back yeah uh trix is smart he has a refractor field like a personal force field uh that blocked the first hit mm-hmm and then shattered <laughs> and then his armor blocked the second hit and then shattered and then his belly blocked the third hit <laughs> blocked yeah that's, that's the word for yeah. it <laughs> and by the end of it uh he had been torn open tail to tip and that was the end of tricks or was it unfortunately it was also the end of many of the witnesses draco fainted just flat out fainted uh, even some of the cultists collapsed into like uncontrollable fits, like having seizures from from what they've seen. Like this is a a gruesome scene, right? Yeah. And while we play these characters as very like you know go screw every man for themselves, like in practice we all tend to look out for each other. But we all looked at what was left of tricks and said. Nope, never mind. Yep, exactly. <laughs> well, maybe we can get Draco out of here. <laughs> right. Let's try to drag him out. However, unfortunately, then I rolled poorly. Uh, Trank suffers a, a mental breakdown and then just starts shooting his pulse rifle at anything that's moving, which, you know, includes the blood letter, but also includes the men. Right. This so, is now the second time I have shot the men. Yes. <laughs> Your second mental break in <laughs> 20 minutes or so. <laughs> You're really not cut out for this line of work. <laughs> no, yeah, fighting demons, no, no. <laughs> right. Trank has absolutely decided he hates fighting demons. Right. <laughs> so you end up fumbling through one of the breaches into another chamber, being able to kind of trap the blood letters in there, and you basically wait for their connection to the warp to falter. Uh, they have a, a warp instability, and they ultimately sort of are sucked back into the warp for not having caused enough chaos uh but you 
kind of just have to wait them out. Yeah, they need to shed blood in order to maintain their ties in real space. So we shut a, a big door, a big metal door between us and them, and then waited for a few minutes while as the screams of the dying echoed. Yeah. Uh, but once those ended and we waited a little longer, there's like a... And we assumed they were gone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you get your sit rep and the column is in tatters, right? You've been hit at, you know, throughout the column by a combination of dug in defenders and just warp mad cultists. And these demons have obviously wrecked the center of it. And Draco makes a call. He's like, we have to keep on going to the bridge, but we're in no fighting shape. So if you're in the lower half of the stairwell, retreat back to the hangar and just make sure that no demons take the hangar bay yeah (laughs) if any show up just kill them right (laughs) or run one or the other uh the rest of you though you're moving on to the bridge right the like 60 odd men we still have left with us yeah it's almost like i had to whittle down your number huh (laughs) (laughs) one company company six perhaps yeah (laughs) (laughs) and we'll find out what they find there next week so this week we are talking about epilogues the sort of end of your campaign after it's already ended yeah the end end the denouement (laughs) thanks for narrowing it down with french (laughs) it's like a session or you know maybe even multiple sessions that happen after the climax of the campaign and it's it's where we find out the consequences of the story that we've all just spent you know maybe years telling together and what happens to those characters once the the big mission is over yeah it's like a coda yeah so we see this happen a lot in you know like a a tv series you know the last maybe one or two episodes is sort of wrapping up the entire thing you get them in books a lot obviously but in an rpg what is the benefit of potentially spending an extra entire session on wrapping up a campaign even after the mission is accomplished or you know completely failed so It gives you a chance to sort of explore the impact of what you've done, right? And and you could do this kind of in a few minutes or a few scenes at the at the end of the last session. But if you give yourself more time to kind of mull it over and think about it and process what happens at the end of your campaign, you know, you can kind of give it uh, a fuller treatment. Yeah, I think anyone who's run a full campaign knows that you've got all these ideas about how this is going to end and what's the you know what is the big final battle going to be right it's almost always a big final battle right but those always take way longer than you you anticipate that they're going to take and so even though you might be like all right big battle and then we're going to have some awesome cut scenes you'll see what happens by the time it's like 1 30 in the morning and everyone has been like well tomorrow i'm just going to be a wreck but we're finishing the campaign so i'm going to stick it out once the final enemy falls, everyone kind of wraps it up and says, hey, that was awesome. You don't really have time for the, the you know, intimate detail of what you might actually have in, in like a longer written story. And then in terms of that detail, right, uh, it's a chance to give meaning to what happened. So um, this applies especially if you had characters who died along the way, uh, either earlier on or, or especially in that final battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, particularly for people who who die in that climax, it's an opportunity for their player to see 
what their character died for, right? Uh, aside from, okay, we won this particular battle, how do things in the world at large get better because right. of that sacrifice? Or, you know, how, how does it get worse because you screwed up and died? Right, or, or on a smaller scale, like, what is the legacy that they leave behind, mm -hmm. right? Are they remembered? Are they, you know, deified? Are they uh, canonized? Those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Right, because they're not going to have um, what other characters in the party might have, like tales of growing old or like, I'm going to tell you about my grandchildren. So the epilogue is really all of the story that they're going to get. Plus also funerals are fun. Yeah, especially if you get a statue out of it. <laughs> uh, I am a huge fan of players giving the eulogy at uh, the funeral of a fallen comrade um, opportunities for you know heartfelt anguish and also you know just one last roast <laughs> here lies tricks he was an <laughs> asshole but he was our asshole and we always appreciated that about him so did the blood letter <laughs> right it's also a chance uh, for everyone in the party to wrap up the long campaign with attention to those little details that might have been missed in all the excitement of, you know, saving the city. So, you know, maybe uh, maybe one of your characters actually did three quarters of the way through this huge quest find the antidote to that spell of living stone that was cast on their family. Mm -hmm. But you didn't really have any time to, like, go to your village on the other side of the world because you were on the clock. Yeah, yeah, that happens a lot. You have these plot threads that are you know, probably going to be wrapped up, but sort of left dangling in the main campaign fiction because time, right? Like something urgent happened. The major threat was resolved, but we never went back to that smaller plot threat. Mm -hmm. So it would be nice for the entire party to sort of like get on a ship, sail to the, to another continent with one of their companions and like present the antidote to the village elders and sort of act that out and see what kind of, of message a grateful family has. Yeah, this can turn into sort of um, miniature adventures, sort of vignettes almost, uh, where the stakes are lower but could still be high. Um, you know, things where you've got sort of a discrete challenge that you're equipped to deal with, but maybe ha you have to worry more about consequences now, or you have a reputation now, or you have something to protect. Yeah. We'll talk about this a bit more later, but you think about uh, one of the epilogues in the Lord of the Rings is the, is the scouring of the Shire where, okay, the ring of power is destroyed and like Sauron's not going to take over the world, but the hobbits still need to go back and handle the crap that's happening back home because mm -hmm. bad things are happening. Yeah. It also gives you a chance to explore how relationships between PCs or between PCs and NPCs have changed. Yeah, this is the time usually when you find out if the romance actually pans out. Yeah, the meet cute was worth it. <laughs> Especially if it's between a PC and an NPC. Yeah. Like in the party that can happen, you know, while you're about to open the door for the final battle. You right. know, hey, I really, I really like you. I don't yeah. know if you knew that. <laughs> but, you know, if it's someone who's like, back in the village or like it's the high priests that like you need to you need time to go back and actually express your feelings yeah it's also you can explore you know themes of forgiveness right um kind of bearing the hatchet or uh redemption arcs as well if if the final battle was your redemption yeah we've talked a lot about how um the the quest itself the campaign itself could the motivation for an individual pc could be like they have to go do it they're ordered to go do it or you know they're making up for something in their backstory 
So it's nice to be able to actually see, you know, what happens. What is the absolution like? What is what is the ceremony like where they're actually restored to their order? Yeah, for those characters too, where they're sort of like single-minded in their pursuit, right? You get a chance to explore that PC after. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, so you've saved the world. You've become the, um, you know, the paragon of your deity, Mr. Paladin. Uh, now what do you do on Sunday morning? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, uh, I guess sleep, I'll get, I sleep in. I yeah. earned it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll get breakfast. <laughs> I never thought about what I like for breakfast. <laughs> this can also be a uh, an opportunity to explore a character who has fallen from grace over the course of the final battle mm. that that was definitely a theme of the morning glory campaign as bastion mm-hmm. chose to betray the party in our final battle or even the character who um for the greater good has walked a dark path you know not maybe fully to the extent of bastion and like becoming an adversary yeah but you know the character who became a warlock and sold their soul for power in order to save the world yeah now the bill comes due yeah i love uh it, that exact example, right, is uh, is Eisenhorn mm. in the uh, Inquisitor series by Dan Abnett. Like his epilogue really is a brief cameo he has in the like spinoff series Ravenor, uh, when he like sets a meeting with Ravenor just to give him like a little bit of advice, and you see like the toll that his deal with a demon has taken on him. Mm-hmm. Like binding the demon host has corrupted him and he's still trying to fight the good fight, but like it is seriously costing him. Yeah, I love the idea that, you know, the the final enemy finally falls and then out of a portal from hell steps a devil who says, "Well, now that you stopped all of space and time from unraveling, it turns out it's been 7 years since we made that deal." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks for saving my ass. Uh now you're mine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a win-win. Uh, and individual backstories or, or even the stories of individual PCs aside, it is an opportunity for your party to see the consequences of their success or, you know, their failure or some combination of the two. You know, what what does Thrain actually look like now that Brand has had a hand in extinguishing the Silver Flame? Mm-hmm. It looks pretty bad, actually. It looks great. What are you talking about? <laughs> I made it in my, I, my face is I, on the money. Yeah, I made it in my own image. <laughs> Did you? We haven't had that epilogue yet. Rockstar Inquisitor <laughs> or Inquisitor Rockstar. <laughs> Did you take expertise in performance? <laughs> no. What? <How? laughs> Maybe retraining. Retraining. Right, yeah. <laughs> okay, so when planning your epilogue, what are some elements to include like what are the things you want to consider what are the building blocks of an epilogue uh it's usually onions carrots uh, and celery that sounds incredibly bland what that is the center of uh, any good soup it's uh, the flavor profile i guess also butter (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) you missed one it's the good one salt (laughs) salt and fat uh, it's loose ends. It, loose ends make up the the bulk of the uh, items that you want to include in your epilogue. So while you're playing your campaign, whether you're the GM or player, keep track of whatever unfinished quests uh, are still lingering as the campaign is progressing. What is it that nags your players or sort of nags you? What was never wrapped up in a nice tidy bow? Yeah, and, and oftentimes this will result in 
multiple loose ends for each character, right? Because they've all sort of had things they were interested in at one point, but then kind of dropped the thread. And now they've got the rest of their lives to sort of address those things. So I think a montage is a great way to, of dealing with these. Yeah, you sort of bounce back and forth. Um, and, you know, if you're lucky, there is something that most of the group or even all of the group really wants to go back and finish they just didn't have time in game to do it so you know then you sort of spin that off into in a little mini adventure you also want to include anything that the players bring up like if they mention oh whatever happened with that right which is why it's sometimes nice to have a bit of a break between the end of the campaign and your epilogue whether that's a week or you know six months or ten years yeah yeah you have the opportunity for players to be like yeah you know i always i was thinking about this thing so it's good to put that in but it's also nice to throw in a surprise like something that they thought was totally wrapped up and maybe there's just like one thing that they forgot about yeah that dangling prophecy (laughs) the dangling participle in the prophecy right (laughs) turns out (laughs) and then the the other thing is just you know what are the questions that the players still have about the campaign um you know what are the the sort of nagging things that as an audience they didn't quite follow you you can address those in the epilogue as well sort of the grand explainer if you will where you where you finally like the heist is over and you sort of peel back the layers so you can see all the little mechanisms that that drove the behavior the way it went right like everyone gets to hear the voice of the omnipotent narrator Right. Okay. Oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah. yeah. In any epilogue, you are going to want to have a healthy dose of consequences. Because the real reason that people are paying attention to what happened after all of the excitement is to see the effect that they had on this uh, campaign world that uh, you've all created together. So, you know, even if you've wrapped up all your loose ends, or even after that, that's all done, what does the city or the country or the world look like now due to your PC's actions? Yeah, if you've wiped off every goblin and orc from the face of the planet, what do all those militias do now? Yeah, I think um, a lot of, like, uh, pre-written adventure paths will have, like, one tiny sidebar that's, like, one quarter of a page at the end. Uh, where they're like, okay, you've won. You defeated Tiamat. What does the world look like now that greed is, does not have a deity? Right. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> but that's something that has massive repercussions for a game world. Right. You're going to want to go macro and micro for those kinds of repercussions. Uh, so, you know, yes, the, now the the pantheon has changed. That obviously has uh, very obvious consequences in that you know some temples are now in ruin or someone else has moved in to take over that part of the portfolio but you want to also express them on the micro level what does what does that look like to the child in an individual village growing up or to the priest whose deity died in the process right maybe it was a, a good deity who sacrificed themselves what do all those clergy do now who were good people who were faithful people and yeah, it was worth it because the world still exists, but I don't know. What do you do now? Right. And then from a storytelling perspective, I think you want to tell this from the standpoint of the NPCs they already have an attachment to. Mm. Um, so rather than just trying to build a, a rapport with, you know, a nameless child in village number three, <laughs> right? It's the child that they saved from the bugbear, right? Or, or whatever, like, 
how is that child's life different versus some anonymous one? Yeah, I like that much better than sort of the voiceover narration of here is how things got different. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although that can work if the PC's lost. It's a gloating narration by the BBEG being like, here's how the world sucks now. Right. Thank you very much. Uh, if your players are up for it, you can just give them the voice of the BBEG too. <laughs> Like, here, right. unwind everything you built. <laughs> Tell me how it's awful. How did you fail? And not just uh, specific NPCs, but also specific locations, places that uh, your party visited, uh, cities that were important to them, uh, clan households, or their stronghold, you know, that they've spent all this time building up. What does it look like now? Is it, is it amazing? Does it become permanent? Yep. And then also, uh, you want some of these to be both uh, kind of expected consequences and then unforeseen consequences, right? Those ripple effects. And the, those unforeseen consequences can be, of course, both good and bad. Yeah, sometimes it'll be unexpected, but hey, that's a windfall. I, I didn't expect that, like, the goblins would rout and run back to the mountains. Right. But awesome. Yep. Also, think about what happens to the magic items that are involved. A lot of times the MacGuffins are like, you know, these super powerful artifacts that the PCs get to wield, but then there's six of them. <laughs> and that's a really powerful artifact. What do they do with it? Well, if you're smart, you'll just make sure it's destroyed in the process of saving the world, right? Ideally. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes you don't have that option. Like, uh, for example, you borrowed Minerva's shield to go kill Medusa, but she probably wants her shield back. Yeah. Uh, Hermes wants his sandals. Right. <laughs> So in those instances, it's pretty obvious what you need to go do with them. You need to return them. But that is a nice opportunity for role play. Like, okay, we'll, we'll go to Olympus and we'll like meet the gods uh, on a more equal footing than we did 15 levels ago. Right. Uh, and then, you know, we'll hand back their things and it, it'll be an interesting ceremony. There's also a well-worn trope of uh, probably the reason you <laughs> you had trouble in the first place. Uh, after you use it, you hide it. Yeah. Right? So that no one can ever find it again, you know, until the next crisis in which they have to retrace your steps to find it. Right. And it's that, um, it's a fun puzzle for a lot of players to be like, okay, where was this hidden before? Obviously, we were able to retrieve it, so that's dumb. Yeah, and this doesn't just apply to items. This also applies to bodies. <laughs> you don't want anybody resurrecting that dead lich or bastion <laughs> there's no body of bat for bastion so I don't, I don't know what you're gonna do i don't know you're gonna hide it he had no soul <laughs> you proved he did oh, did i <laughs> no calic did because he murdered him things can be unproven <laughs> what if the universe made a mistake <laughs> i like the puzzle of okay, the Lich did a bad job of hiding their phylactery because it only took us, you know, 1,500 years to find it. No mm -hmm. big deal. Mm -hmm. I, I, the player, am going to play a little thought experiment yeah. <laughs> involving an anti-magic field, a bag of holding, a trip to the astral plane, and the inside of a slot. <laughs> and we're going to, I'm going to make sure no one finds this thing. I'm going to use the prison spell. <laughs> I'm going to turn him into a crystal of salt. I'm going to dissolve him in the ocean. <laughs> Of course, the best part of that is if you play another campaign and then some other group of PCs 
now has to go find it. Yeah. And you're like, oh, well, I know exactly where it is, but there's literally no way to get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have to, uh, guys, sorry, we have to boil the ocean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, this happens in comic books a lot. Um, every time the Infinity Gauntlet gets brought together, spoilers for Avengers 3, I guess, um, you got to split it up again. Because it can't, it can't stay together because someone's going to use it to destroy the entire multiverse. So, like, get rid of the thing. Smash into little pieces and hide each one of those things. So, you can also have that uh, end of episode four. Yeah, moment. four. Mm-hmm. Yep, with, uh, with a ceremony, right? Uh, what is the honor that's bestowed upon you? You know, is it a medal or a promotion? Not or... if you're a Wookiee. <laughs> right. <laughs> Coronation. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're going you're gonna to get some stuff. Maybe... It's time to get married. Or get buried. Yeah, yeah, those those often happen. Or maybe it's a retirement party. You know, if you've spent your entire adventuring career focused on revenge, maybe it's time to consider piracy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you can have that ceremony where you're elected captain of a pirate crew. Yeah, at rapier point. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I'll fight anybody here who wants to. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I just wrecked the world. So <laughs> we took on a new crew. This guy just starts calling me Roberts. Right. <laughs> Everyone goes along with it. Uh, of course, for the greedier players amongst us, you'll want to know what your just rewards were. Yeah, I want a castle. Well, I want a, I want a flying castle. Oh, I want power. I want the title, so that you can gift yourself a flying castle. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, so that yeah. I can. You know, seize the flying castle. Look, if I have a flying castle, I'm pretty sure I can take over countries and make my own titles. <laughs> yeah, but if my title is King of Flying Castles, <laughs> I just like claim to yours. Okay, sounds like a sequel. <laughs> uh, of course, rewards can be much smaller as well, right? You might have uh, elements of your backstory. So you, you could uh, earn the freedom for your family, for example, or, or restore the honor to your clan. Uh, for a dwarf yeah and you know how did those parents who were really disappointed in you for you know going off adventuring and and not staying home and and sticking to the family business how do they feel now that you've restored your clan's honor huh huh mom and dad yeah they feel like you better get to sweep in that floor boy yeah nothing changes everything changes and nothing changes since i have a flying castle though i just have like this trap door and i sweep everything down the drain a moon door yeah yeah <laughs> And then it's not my problem anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to sweep the uh, king of this castle right down the drain, too. <laughs> Waiting till we're over an ocean. <laughs> right. All right, so now you know what you're going to put in your epilogue. But there are a few different uh, ways to play this out. There is, of course, the direct aftermath. So if you're lucky and you've got extra time in your session, you know, you spend half the session uh, finding out what happened. What, uh, what are the immediate consequences um, of the end of the story or you know um, a session later it's like all right we're doing session 104.5 yeah <laughs> yeah this is like the dust has literally just settled there's also the reunion right so uh, perhaps you made an agreement or there's been some outside impetus for the band to get back together yeah, uh, it's quite possible that the reason the Morning Glory campaign comes back together is that it's been a year and a day since they banished Nistrum Shadar, and, well, that guy needs to get dead again. Right. 
Um, there's also, you know, the oldest, shortest lived member of the party has died mm-hmm. and they've all kind of reunited to pay their respects. Uh, I really like uh, using the reunion trope when the gaming group itself hasn't played together in a long time. Yeah. So it, it mirrors the it, it's very meta. Yeah. That's all come together, and we'll we'll play those characters that we played 15 years ago because we all just happen to be back in town. Yeah, uh, I think that was one of the horror stories that got sent in uh, for our Halloween episode, <laughs> and I, I love that concept of uh, of an adventure of a game, but uh, obviously didn't turn out so great for them for unrelated reasons to the structure. Uh, you mentioned this a little bit before, but. Uh, certain types of groups are interested in the more mundane aspects of the epilogue you know adventurers out of water right you spent many many sessions like fighting for your lives and trying to save us an entire city so what is it like now when you're living this normal life and you know you wake up in the morning and the first thing you put on is like a tunic and not armor right you sleep in a bed. You sleep in a bed. Yeah, <laughs> that's the, weird. The same bed, like <laughs> multiple days in a row. That's right. What spells am I preparing? Uh, plant growth. Right. <laughs> Create food and water. Uh, you can also have sort of a brave new world kind of epilogue where you're dealing with the consequences of a world that is significantly different than it was before the climax. So uh, either consequences of failure or kind of a uh, success with a cost kind of thing. Yeah, you know, you're maimed, you know, or you've you've had to give up something, you know, in order to succeed. Or you failed, but the world didn't end. The world is just worse. Right. You know, this is uh, to track sort of a modern epilogue. This is like living in Japan, uh, like occupied, allied occupied Japan, right? Uh, The armistice was signed to end World War II. Uh, Japanese culture is intact, but there's no more standing army. And you've agreed that we'll never have another standing army. So what do you do if you were in the army? Right. <laughs> you can also, and this is sort of a, an even larger version of the the mini adventure, is you can play it out sort of like we did in the eight-year time skip in Rogue Trader, which is you kind of have random events and find out what happens in the future. Yeah, I actually, I love this as an idea for um, almost like a hundred ways to die. Mm-hmm. Right, so you're not necessarily playing out all of the years in between, but you're playing out your character's final scene, and you're piecing together. Well, how did I end up in this? You know, like trapped in the elemental plane of fire. <laughs> like what? What series of events could have led me there? Yeah, or or you know, the flip side of that is, how is it possible that I like died eighty years later peacefully in my bed? Right. Exactly. How did nobody get me? Right. <laughs> And that is another avenue for uh, telling these epilogues is, you know, find out how it is that, that everyone dies. It, it's a very almost like medieval way of telling a story. It's kind of macabre, yeah. Uh, but if you think about um, even Lord of the Rings does the same thing, right? Like Tolkien has an epilogue uh, and it's uh, 160 years later, Aragorn dies of old age and Arwen throws herself on the casket and dies of grief and... Why? Why is that information oh, dude, in there? Spoiler. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Like, well, why is that like depressing information in there? It's it's because like that's how those stories were written. We know that like Bilbo and Frodo go off to like the blessed realm and then die there, and then Legolas does too, and he takes Gimli with. It. Like we we know the eventual ends of their stories, even though that's like a hundred years after the story ends. Yes. Yep. 
And of course, none of this has any meaning if it doesn't matter to the players. So you should also kind of work with the players to figure out what is it that they want to get out of the ending? Like, what's the epilogue they're looking for? Do they care how their characters die? Do they care how their characters deal with the immediate impact? Yeah, and players, be vocal about this. Like, if if you know that an epilogue is coming, if the campaign ends and we're like, all right, next week we're doing an epilogue, be proactive about telling your GM what it is you want to see out of that. I mean, sometimes it can be, all right, I'm going to write an epilogue for my character, right? Like, I'm going to send you a little short story just like I did with the backstory. Mm-hmm. And like, maybe that's totally fine. Um, but just have an idea in your head of what you want to get out of this so that it's a satisfactory ending for you. Right. Because this is an opportunity for you to shape the end of that story. So uh, GMs, give your players a ton of leeway here. Um, Obviously, you know, you want to do the normal um, uh, social contract stuff where you don't have people stepping on other people's toes and they're not telling other people how their stories end, right? But in general, like... If it makes even the slightest bit of sense that, you know, the thief becomes like a, a wealthy king because of, of inheritance, like, just go for it. Why not? Well, you're not called a robber baron for nothing. <laughs> I kept these uh, artifacts for a little longer than maybe I should have before <laughs> right, giving <yeah>. them back. <laughs> <laughs> and think about, uh, as a player, are you the same person as the one who was in your backstory, like, 20 levels ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, how how does your character feel about who they are, given who they thought they would be at this moment? Yeah, given the things that they, they had to do, do, do they feel like it was all worth it? Right. And, and if they do, what is it that they had to give up? And, and what unexpected things did they gain? Yep. Uh, I, this is a great way to reckon with the blood on your hands or... Um, you know the sacrifices that you've made along the way the price you've paid to to be successful in the final battle mm. uh, this is kind of where that all comes due from an emotional standpoint this is also going to be the time when both players and GMs are setting up the vague faint possibility of the sequel right <laughs> <laughs> there's always there should always be something left undone that either your kids or some other adventuring party a thousand years from now needs to do yeah i was gonna say maybe not the sequel maybe the reboot or the next generation (laughs) morning glory the next generation oh i kind of i kind of like that i kind of like that idea it's like legend of korra 70 years later the whole world is different because you screwed it up speaking of Doing an epilogue after a successful campaign is not without risks. Uh, So what are some of the pitfalls of attempting an epilogue? I mean, a bad dessert ruins a great meal, right? So if if it's done poorly, if you're not putting the same time and effort into prepping your epilogue as you were during your regular campaign, it can just spoil a great ending. Yeah, you don't want your story to jump the shark mm-hmm. in its very final moments right you made it all this way and then people are like i I think i think we're kind of we're kind of done yeah I, I guess we're not gonna call that canon huh <laughs> <laughs> maybe in a few months we can take another crack at that <laughs> yeah and be careful about like sort of pulling the rug out from under the tone that you set if you ran such a serious brooding grim dark campaign don't have like a slapstick epilogue with pratfalls right right um, I think another potential pitfall is 
generally games do not have strong mechanical support for this type of storytelling. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in a D&D game, if you're telling the, the broad sweeping narration of maybe a character's last 20 years, um, a skill check doesn't really model that very effectively right <laughs> you rolled a one the rest of your life sucked yeah exactly so <laughs> it's a it can be a little bit for it, it can be very freeform and and it probably should be a little more freeform or, or looser in the mechanics um and and you're giving more narrative control to the players so if that's a departure from the regular campaign that can be a challenge for players and gms to manage Mm -hmm. yeah if you're playing a pretty crunchy system i'd say go ahead and take a look at just some of the storytelling options in lighter systems right and just use that for you know one or half a session right or do what i do and just throw random tables together (laughs) everyone loves random tables so we actually want to hear about your experiences with playing or running an epilogue for your campaign you've told us a lot about um you know stories from your campaigns but how do they end and then you know what uh, what did you do to sort of send them off into the night for good and all the better if you can tie those into your gaming triumphs yeah we already skipped horror stories sorry yeah <laughs> maybe next halloween <laughs> All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? That is the sound of uh, this chapter coming to a close, at least on this episode. Uh, I don't think we need to do an epilogue for this episode, I hope, because I don't have any notes. Well, that's fine. We'll just move on to the next section in the bookshelf, the Character Creation Forge. It does come next alphabetically. It's got a codex. (laughs) Uh, Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building The Last Man Standing. When everyone else is down for the count, it's the last man standing who holds on until the bitter end. And, you know, sometimes even afterward. So this is a character who is just really impossible to kill. Okay. Uh, How would you contrast this character with the Tub Thumper? That was the one that kept the whole party alive. Well, not alive, but alive again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The the Corpse Reviver. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so, so... The last man standing doesn't care about the rest of the party. He oh, only yeah. protects himself. That's right. The last man standing does not have revivify. Okay. Or any healing. Okay. <laughs> the last man standing is, uh, I'll go get help. I mean, I guess you could take the medicine skill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> will not avenge you. They will make sure that you are remembered. Right. F- fondly, probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what is the build for the last man standing? It is a half orc. Monk of the Long Death 15, Bear Totem Barbarian 3, Diviner Wizard 2. So I think I think we can start with these smaller classes first. So uh, Barbarian, I'm guessing we're doing this for the damage resistance. Yeah, I mean, you know, the tankiest character you can make is a Bear Totem Barbarian. Um, so you get a couple rages a day, uh, which greatly extend... Uh, your your hit points and your your toughness in battle. 
Uh, we don't get a ton else from Barbarian that we really love. Uh, Reckless Attack actually makes it easier for you to get hit, so you probably want to avoid that. Then Diviner Wizard, uh, we're getting this for Portent, right? Uh, Essentially, yeah. You, it's going to be a little difficult to cast spells, but there's a chance you could use things like Absorb Elements to gain damage resistance or Shield to avoid getting hit. Yeah, and those are both great spells to use before you've had your um, first turn, so you haven't had a chance to rage yet. Right. And then Portent will let you have a little bit of control over a couple of die rolls each day so that you can avoid getting hit or make a save that's important, those types of things. Yeah, when you absolutely, positively have to live, Portent. And then Monk of the Long Death. Yeah, this takes Bear Totem Barbarian up to 11, which I guess makes sense because it's the 11th level feature that we're really going for. Right. Uh, you get extra attack, flurry, stunning fist, which are nice, but they use up your key, which you kind of want to sandbag. Although, you know, sometimes it, the best defense is good offense. But speaking of defense, you also get evasion. So if you succeed on those dexterity saving throws, which you probably will. You don't take damage. That's right. You got deflect, deflect missiles. And if someone throws you out a window, you just slow fall down. You also have immunity to poison and disease, so you will not be snookered by anybody trying to kill you. You won't accidentally eat the wrong food and die, which is ridiculous. But those are the ways that you take out the the tough uh, the tough characters. Right. It's the sneaky ways. Uh, and, of course, uh, level 14, you're able to reroll your saving throws by popping a key. No action required. You also don't require food and water, and you have no penalties from old age. Which is also how they get you. They just wait till you're 85. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you get a bit of 10 HP when you're taking down a creature. But at uh, the 11th level of Monk, you can spend a key point, no action required, to not die. Which is, yeah, that's good. Right. Well, you know, if you were reduced to zero hit points, you can instead be reduced to one hit point, which is the typical way that you die. Right. The other way, of course, is failing a saving throw, which you're really not going to do. Or taking massive damage, which would reduce you to negative your hit point total, in which case you'll die instantly. Shield. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then, of course, we're a half-orc, which means we'll have relentless endurance, which... Uh, allows you to get back up once uh, for free. doesn't even require a key point. Yeah. So even when they think they've totally run you out of them, and they have, you're still okay. All right, Ishan. Who is your last man standing? So my last man standing is someone who seeks to understand death. So began as a barbarian and deals it out, uh, but then uh, begins to have visions of their own death the day that they die and seeks to understand and so joins the way of the long death to uh, ultimately sort of become one with death itself um uh, part of the inspiration for this is i don't know did you ever see that old 80s fantasy movie krull which was not particularly good no but i've seen a reference to it Okay, good enough. There's a character in that. I think it's a Cyclops. Uh, and the special ability that the Cyclopses have in Krull is that uh, they know when they're going to die. Oh, that sucks. Yes, it sucks. And they're all very morose because of it. But it's also cool because you can charge into battle knowing that, like, this is not my day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like that, that's how I would flavor the portent uh, in that they. I think they would be almost my character. She's She's essentially foolhardy. She's like, today's not the day I'm going to die, right? It's the opposite of the Klingon, like, today's a good day to die. No, today's uh, yeah. a terrible day to die. 
Which is why I'm not going to today. Yeah, I'm. you're going to die. It's bad for you. But my day, not yet. When my day comes, that will be a bad day for me, but I'll be prepared. I like this solipsism. <laughs> well, you know, uh, well, it was all your days, all right? <laughs> it's the rogue's day to die and the fighter's day to die right. and the cleric's day to die, but it is not the monk's day to die. So you will be remembered somewhat fondly. <laughs> <laughs> what about your last man standing? All right. Do you want to take a little trip with me? Because I'm going to go to a weird place. Uh, I thought we were already there. Okay, so my last man standing is not about being the last one standing in the party. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Mine is about finding out who's the last one, last man standing within himself. Oh, okay. Because he is a rat king. He is a collection of animated rats (laughs) psychically linked together who, as they fall, reform again. To continue fighting forward. Okay, I kind of like that you could do this with a swarm of cranium rats. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm into it. I, you'll have to replay for half work, obviously, quite heavily. <laughs> I think you could swap out those two levels of diviner and go two levels of druid and then turn yourself into a swarm of cranium rats. You turn yourself back into uh, a person. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, yeah. right. Of course. <laughs> so it works in <laughs> like, reverse. Like, I am a swarm of cranium, cranium rats. Right. <laughs> That's uh, gross and disconcerting. Uh, thank you. So on that note (laughs) (laughs) if you want more go to our patreon page (laughs) yeah uh and again thank you to our patrons for making the character creation forge codex possible uh thank you to jeff from system mastery for uh completing that for us and check out the patreon page at patreon.com slash total party thrill for the link to it uh search it find it you will find the last man standing there that's right. Uh, yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this uh, every single week. Against your better judgment, probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair. I mean, this is either running the week before Thanksgiving or on Thanksgiving. So fun for the whole family. Right. Or get away from your family. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing work. No, it's work. Yeah, pot- yeah listening to podcasts is, is for work. All right, we also have a five-star review from iTunes. This is a dynamic duo covering RPG topics in depth by iBlueWizard. Five stars. The two hosts of the show are truly experts in their field, and that field is RPGs, with a focus on D&D 5e. I'm impressed every episode by what they cover in their discussions and their creations in the Character Creation Forge. That's more often than I'm impressed by us. That is really stretching the term expert yeah to or, its, or impressed or impressed yeah. <laughs> or every <laughs> but we are uh fanboys at least that's nice we appreciate it so if you'd like us to read your review um leave a good one or at least a five-star one yeah that's true you could uh pay us because that's a patreon option and leave a horrible review and we'll still read it. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, because you paid us. Right. Yeah. So if you hate us, go for it. Well, that's it for episode 121 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening.
and a bottom 10 of other podcasters in the industry. <laughs> yeah, great. Our favorites and least favorites. You know who you are. Let's burn our bridges. <laughs> Gotta build them first. All right. The Rillies are basically Razzies. Let's be honest. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. Do you like the new margins? Oh, mm-hmm. did you lower? Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Very nice. Beautiful. Yeah. Loving it. Looks like we have less work to do. Right. And then I'll copy an old one like an idiot, and it'll all be lost. <laughs> to the sands of time. Awesome. 